Do you realize that we live in a day when the church is being destroyed from the inside out? Dr. J. Vernon McGee asked that question at the end of our last study. Welcome to Through the Bible. Of course, we know that Jesus promised that even hell can't destroy his relationship with the church, his bride. Yet too many of us have had the sad experience of a church fight or even a church split. Today in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll learn how the Apostle Paul dealt with similar situations in the church at Corinth. It's a practical study that'll help us as we look at God's Word and then understand how to deal with such scandals ourselves. Let's pray together as we begin. Heavenly Father, your wisdom is so much higher than ours. Your knowledge is so much greater than ours. Your ways are so much better than ours. And in all of this, you choose us to be the instruments of your glory. So bring the gospel to the nations, Lord. We boast in you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians 1 as we go through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, we've already discovered in 1 Corinthians here that the solution to the problems of life is the lordship of Jesus Christ. And when we come to him and he becomes actually our Lord and our master, then things seem to fall into place. And it's the solution to the problems that are in churches today and that individuals have. Now, the church in Corinth was in a mess. They were baby believers. They were carnal Christians. And this church in Corinth is very much like the churches that are around us today. Probably not like your church, but certainly like other churches. Now we saw that the first problem that was in this church was the question of divisions. The party spirit was there, and there was schisms in the church. There was strife in the church. And this is something Paul got firsthand. And the problem was that they went after individuals. Rather, they put them actually in place of Christ. One group was saying, I am of Paul, another Paulus, and one of Cephas. Then actually, there was a fourth group there. And that fourth group, they were saying, an eye of Christ. Now, they actually were not really putting Christ first, but they were the super-duper spiritual group. And very frankly, they, I think, were the worst group of all. That's just my private opinion. And as a result, they made of Christ a little cult, and they had their little clique in the church. They excluded other believers They were spiritual snobs, by the way. That's exactly what I would say that they are. And so we have these four groups. And there was no reason for there to be this division because you and I are living in a day when the church is being destroyed from the inside. The problems are not on the outside today. For instance, the pulpit has long since been destroyed by the liberals, and that'll destroy a church anytime when a liberal gets in the pulpit. You go around Sunday night and at the midweek service, see what they have out. And then there's the pew today, and that's where they stir up strife, begin to gather around a man, and the church fights have done more damage to the cause of Christ than alcohol communism and worldliness, and you find many churches there 
doing what they did in the mountains of Kentucky and Tennessee. They're feuding and a-fussing. You probably have heard that old corny song about the Martins and the Coys. They were reckless mountain boys, and they took up family feuding when they'd meet. They would shoot each other quicker than it took your eye to flicker. They could knock a squirrel's eye at 90 feet. Oh, the Martins and the Coys, they were reckless mountain boys. But old Abel Martin was the next to go. Though he saw the Coys a-coming, he'd hardly started running, for a volley shook the hills and laid him low. After that, they started out to fight in earnest, and they scarred the mountains up with shot and shell. There was uncles, brothers, cousins. They say they bumped them off by dozens. Just how many bit the dust, it's hard to tell. Oh, the Martins and the Coys, they were reckless mountain boys. At the art of killing, they became quite deaf. They all knowed they shouldn't do it, but before they hardly knew it, on each side, they only had one person left. Well, may I say to you, that sounds pretty corny and very silly, but it's sure a picture of many churches today, right on the inside of them. They're feuding and a-fighting and a-fussing, and that is exactly what they were doing in the Corinthian church. Now, what is the answer to that? Well, it's given to us here in verse 13. What is the answer? Is Christ divided? And, of course, the answer is, of course, Christ is not divided at all. And anything that breaks up the unity in Christ has something wrong with it, friends. I don't care what it is. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? And the very interesting thing is that Baptism became also a point of division among them. The crucifixion of Christ is the bedrock of Christian unity, and it's absurd to contemplate for anyone to let any individual divide us from the body. And then were ye baptized in the name of Paul? Now, I do not really believe that Paul is talking here about water baptism, to tell the truth. That was always in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the one baptism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the question is, Paul says, were you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. They weren't baptized in his name. The baptism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they need to return to the person of Christ. And... Very candidly, I've always felt I can fellowship with any man, regardless of his label, if he can meet with me around the person of Christ. And now we have here, he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. And I think here now he's talking about water baptism. And he said that he never specialized even in that because there's always a danger of going off in that direction and thinking that baptism saves you or that it actually has some mystical or some power that you couldn't get otherwise. And Paul says, I didn't emphasize it lest any should say that I'd baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. And besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. Paul 
attached so little importance that he didn't even remember whether he'd baptized anyone else or not. He says, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now we've come here to another very important matter. And very candidly, I feel like it's very important for the fact today that we are seeing a great many people that are dividing and separating on many issues. And this is the thing that causes the schisms and the strife that is in the church. Now, the church in Corinth was fractured by this party spirit. And the message of all three which they brought to Corinth of Paul, Cephas, and Apollos, it had the unifying quality and power. And it was a fusion and not a faction that the gospel they preached emphasized. But the people there began, because they were babies, to put the emphasis on individual. Now, Paul emphasizes the centrality of the cross. And notice what he does again, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now, the thing that was true here in this city of Corinth and was true in many other cities was an emphasis on philosophy. Now, let's see that as we move into this chapter here. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it's the power of God. Now, the very interesting thing is that the cross divides the saved from the unsaved, but it doesn't divide the saved people. It should unite them, you see, but it does divide the saved from the unsaved, and we should see that. That's very important. The Dutch artist Rubens, he painted a picture of the last judgment. And you see the lost falling away into space, away from the throne of God. And as they fall, they cling together. Now, that's the accurate picture of the one world that men are working for today. The lost want to come together in one great unity, and they're going to accomplish a great union in the last day. But cutting right across the grain of the ecumenical environment and today's thinking is the gospel of Christ. And the Lord Jesus called himself a divider of man. And the dividing line is his cross. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish, well, it's foolishness. But unto those that are saved, it's the power of God. Now, Paul makes it very clear that his method was not in the wisdom of the words of the world, not in the matter of dialectics or divisions or differences or opinions and theories, but he just presented the cross of Christ. Now, that brought about a unity. The preaching of crosses to them that perish foolishness, but the saved, why that cross becomes the power of God. Now, notice what he goes on to say. The result is that this divides the world, but it does not divide the church at all. Now, will you notice, for it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I'll bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. 
Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And you'll notice that it's not foolish preaching, but the foolishness of preaching. Verse 22, for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, I've read this extended section for a very definite purpose. Will you notice Paul divides mankind into two great ethnic groups. I think he rather recognizes a twofold division. Jews and Greeks are Gentiles. Now, the Jews represented religion, and they represented a God-given religion. They felt that they had the truth, and they did, as far as the Old Testament was concerned. But it had just become a ritual. They had departed from it, and the power was gone. And so when Christ appeared, you'll remember that they require a sign. They wanted a sign. Rather than to turn to their scriptures, they asked for a sign. And our Lord said, no sign will be given to you, but the sign of the prophet Jonah, sign of resurrection. Now, there were the Greeks. They were the Gentiles. They represent philosophy, not religion, but philosophy. They were lovers of wisdom. They said they were seeking the truth. They were searching and scanning the universe for truth. They were the rationalists. The Jews ended up in ritual. The Gentiles ended up as rationalists, and they had to conform to a pattern of reason. About 400 years before Christ came, the Greek nation threw on the horizon of history a brilliance of mind and an artistic accomplishment in many fields that still dazzles and startles mankind, only extended for three centuries, that is, it was about 300 years before Christ. Then it just fizzled out. And men like Pericles, Anaxagoras, Thales, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, they disappeared. They left certain schools, the Peripatetic School of Philosophy, the Stoic School of Philosophy, the Epicurean Stoic. Then you have 2,000 years of sterility and stagnation that came into the world. Then there was Bacon and Hobbes and Descartes. And you have the rebirth of thinkers. And then there was a brief period of brilliance and again decadence, and we're still in it. Although there's some boys around today that think they're smart. But what is truth, said the jesting pilot. And Bacon, you remember, asked the same question. And philosophy is still asking the question, and it has no answers to the problems of life today. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? That is the question that they've been asking. Now, philosophy, someone has defined philosophy as a blind man in a dark room looking for a black cat that's not there. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. They're searching for some theory or formula today. And man today feels like that through science that he's really got answers to some of the questions of life. 
Well, does he have the answers to the question of life? There's been some question about that, and here's a statement that appeared in a new book called The Suicide of the West by James Burnham. Listen to this. The truth is that modern man is over-impressed by his own achievements. To put a rocket into an orbit that is more than 100 miles from the surface of the earth takes a great deal of joint thought and effort, but we tend to overstate the case. Though men who ride a few miles above the earth are called astronauts, this is clearly a misnomer. Men will not be astronauts until they ride among the stars. And it's unimportant to remember that most of the stars are thousands of light years away. The Russians are even more unrestrained in their overstatement, calling their men cosmonauts. Someone needs to say, little man, don't take yourself quite so seriously. You see, man today thinks he has a few answers. Where is the wise today? It's a pretty good question to ask. God's made foolish the wisdom of this world. For after that, in the wisdom, will you notice that, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. This is a tremendous statement, you see. Now, will you notice then what God says here? But we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness. Now, the Jew found the cross a stumbling block, a scandalon. They wanted a sign. They wanted someone to show the way. They wanted a pointer. They wanted a highway marker. To deliver on a white charger, putting down the power of Rome, is what they would have accepted. But Christ crucified was an insult to them, and they didn't want to accept that at all. That meant defeat and not victory. As it is written, Paul says in Romans 9:33, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And then in 1 Peter 2, 7, Unto you therefore which believe he's precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense to them which stumble, at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Now the Greeks, the Gentiles, they thought the cross was foolishness and absurdly. It was utterly preposterous and ridiculous. It was contrary to any rational worldly system. In Rome, they found a caricature of Christianity, a figure on the cross with an ass's head. May I say to you, that's the way they're doing it today, ridiculing our Savior. Now, Paul bears down on philosophy. He says in Acts 18, 6, And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, He's in Athens now. Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I'll go unto the Gentiles. But can philosophy lift a man out of the cesspool of this life? It never has. And not foolish preaching, but the preaching of foolishness, that is the cross, that's not a method, it's a message. Men reject it today. And you find that the wisdom of the world today is to have an anti-poverty program. May I say that we have a school down at the edge of Watts. 
We don't get too much support and recognition from that. It was there long before they had riots. May I say that they need the gospel down there, but no one's thought of that. And Beverly Hills in Southern California needs the gospel also. Now, Paul introduces another class of mankind, neither Jews nor Gentiles. They are the call, the elect, not merely those who heard the invitation, but those who responded to it and found in the cross the wisdom and power of God, and it transformed their lives, and it made them new men, and it took 12 men, molded 11 of them, and then the Lord Jesus took Saul of Tarsus, and now the city of Corinth with its sin, and Ephesus with its religion, and for 1,900 years, the gospel has been going around the world today, and it's the only help and hope of mankind. And will you notice, he says, we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, the weakness of God is stronger than man. And he says, we see our calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. It's a custom today of some to try to talk about the great that have accepted Christ, the Hollywood stars, the great leaders of industry, and the prominent in government today. But the important thing is God is still calling the multitudes average people just like you are and like I am. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world. Now, they are not foolish. They are foolish to the world, and they are not weak. They are weak to the world, but this is God's method, and he even chooses base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen and things that are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. We haven't anything to glory about. But listen to this. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God he's made unto us wisdom. He's everything you need. Oh, my friend, it's in Christ today. I wish I could get that over to you. He's been made to us wisdom, and he's our righteousness. He's our sanctification and our redemption. And whatever you need, you find it in him today, that according it is it written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Glory in the Lord Jesus Christ today. What do you glory in? What are you boasting of today? Are you boasting of your degrees, your wisdom? Are you boasting today of your wealth, your power? Are you boasting of your position, your character my friend, you have nothing to boast of. And believe me, I know I haven't. But we can boast of Christ, and he's everything. He's everything that we need today. Oh, that you and I might see that. So until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Did you hear that? Jesus Christ is everything. He's everything you and I need today. We have nothing to boast in, not reputation, not finances, not wisdom or influence or anything we could think of to name. But we can boast in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. That's such a refreshing truth to take into our day, isn't it?
You know, the best thing that we can do each day is meditate on God's Word and invite His Spirit to teach us and impress us on what we need to remember and learn. And that's why we continue to think of ways to make God's Word and this five-year journey accessible to study and to share. You know, one great way is to invite a friend to travel through God's Word with you. One easy way to do that is to give them one of our new Bible bus passes. It's about the size of a business card. Each one has got a QR code and our website address to help them easily find our current study. Request a pack of 10 listen cards today and we'll mail them out to you. Just call 1-800-65-BIBLE or email us at BibleBus at ttb.org. You can also request our free Share Bible Bus Pass that points to resources about our great salvation in Jesus Christ and the free Read Bible Bus Pass that points to many, many resources to help you live the Christian life. Listen, share, and read. All three Bible Bus Passes are an easy way to help people find answers from through the Bible. Again, call 1-800-65-BIBLE and request yours for free today. I'm Steve Schwetz, and as always, I'll be here next time, Lord willing, as the Bible Bus moves on to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Why don't you read ahead yourself? God bless you as you walk with Him today. Today's study is always available, free to stream or download, thanks to the generous and faithful investments from your fellow Bible bus travelers. Just go to ttb.org or download our app to listen again anytime. As always, we'd love to know what's God teaching you.